Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity we have to gather today as New Life Christian Ministries. We ask and pray that as we look into your word, that you would speak to our hearts. Father God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal the truths of Scripture to us uh, and that you would minister to our lives so that, Father, we could take what we learn today, apply it to our lives, ultimately so that your kingdom would grow and advance from here to the end of the earth. Father God, I thank you and praise you for each and every one who is watching today online. Father, I pray for them corporately and individually. Father, I pray over their lives, over their situations. And Father God, I ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would provide whatever they need at this time, be it comfort or encouragement, whatever they need, Father God, I ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would begin to minister to their hearts even now and continue throughout the rest of the message today. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hi there, I'm Pastor Barry. I'm the executive pastor at New Life, and I am so thankful that you are joining us online this weekend. We're actually wrapping up with this series that we're launching today. We are wrapping up an annual series overarching emphasis that we've had for an entire year called Experiencing God Unreserved. And it's been an incredible journey, and I'm thankful that I get to launch, really, as we wrap up this overarching year-long emphasis. Now, as I do a little bit of a year in review here, I would encourage you that if you missed any of the messages or series in particular, feel free to go to newlifexn.org and, and review those. It could be very helpful, because we believe that if we take what we have learned, frankly, for the previous year... Uh, and what we're going to learn in this series over the next couple of weeks. If we apply that to our lives, it's life-changing. And so we would highly encourage you to do that if you haven't already done so. And we believe that God will continue to be faithful as we walk out this next stage in our journey. Now, just shy of a year ago, we entered into this Experiencing God Unreserved overarching message series. And we started by looking at what we call the spiritual growth continuum. And on that continuum, we move from uh, explorers to believers to disciples and spirit-led. And we looked at how we experience God in each of those particular uh, stages of our development. From there, we used Henry Blackaby's wonderful resource, his book, Experiencing God. And what I love about Blackaby is he makes it so clear what it's like for us to experience God in our everyday lives. Because God is always at work around us. He invites us to join with him. He pursues us, right? Invites us to join with him. And as we do what God has called us to do, as we enter into that invitation, God does his work through us and we come to know God by experience. It's an incredible, incredible book. And I would highly encourage you to pick it up if you haven't already or view those messages if you haven't already seen them. Throughout Christmas and the new year, we looked at what it is to experience in God and how we can experience God through the holidays, which is helpful, right? And as we got into the new year, how we experience God through prayer and how he gives us a heart for generosity. We experienced the spirit. We also experienced God in the midst of a global pandemic, which is really unique. We then looked at the core values of new life and how we experience God through those core values and that, how that shapes who we are as a church family. And finally, we just wrapped up last week where we looked at several biblical characters, right, like Abraham and Moses and King David, just to name a few, 
and how they experience God at different portions and parts of their lives. And we entitled it for such a time as this because we believe those principles applied to them, but also to us for our time. And so that was highly encouraging as well. Our purpose throughout this entire year has been to help us understand that we can experience God at any time, in any season, really in almost any context. God continues to move in our midst, and he is always asking us to join with him. And the great thing is, is that he pursues us in the midst of that. And it's not a one-time event, right? This is an ongoing journey that won't end this side of heaven. And it's the journey that we really want to focus on with the series that we're launching today called Experiencing God in Daily Acts of Faith. This series does really bring us full circle. We're going to talk about how we can experience God every day as we fast, as we pray, as we read through his scripture. And along the way, I want to point out a resource to you guys. This is called Pursuit. It's a 21-day devotional by a gentleman named Dave Patterson, and it's a phenomenal help. And I would encourage you, if you don't have that, please pick it up, because our hope is that over the next 21 days or several weeks, or really for the rest of our lives, that we would pursue God with almost a reckless abandon, that we would press into him as we never have before, and that we would experience him literally every day. Again, if you don't have a copy, please, please pick one up. But I want to start today by sharing a little bit of a story with you guys that happened several years ago. Just out of college, my first real job, you know, real job, was the, uh, I was the youth director at a church called Chippewa Presbyterian Church. It's located in Chippewa Township, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Beaver Falls. It's a family church, and as family churches often do, they did everything they could to take care of the young single guy, right? So appreciative, so thankful for so many of those folks, have relationships with many of them, even to this day. They just took such great care of me. I'm always very thankful for that. And so what that looked like practically is, is I got invited to birthday parties and graduation parties, events. They were always inviting me into their homes. But my favorite by far was going for dinner because a home-cooked meal to a young 20-something, yeah, I'll take that every time. So it wasn't unusual for me to have a standing invitation at a house usually a couple times a month, if not once a week. And I'd always go and have a great time and eat great food. And so one family in particular asked me if I would come to dinner one evening because they had a niece coming in from out of town. Now, as a single guy, I thought for sure it was a setup, right? Single guy, niece coming in from out of town, sure, I'll go to dinner. They actually said, no, no, she's married and happily and has a couple of kids. And I thought, oh, well, then why am I getting invited to dinner? And the reason was, quite simply, she was pretty adverse to Christianity. And they had hoped that if I came to dinner, maybe we could have a conversation. And I said, sure, I'd love to do that. So I went to dinner, and after dinner, we were sitting around their kitchen counter like we normally did. Uh, and I began to chat with the niece, and she launched into what I can only describe as like a 45-minute rant that was everything that was wrong with the church, right? She talked about the hypocrisy of the church and biblical inconsistencies and perceived inaccuracies. She talked about the state of the church in general, and she just went on and on. And I sat there, and I'll be honest, it was a roller coaster of emotions for me. Because sometimes I would cringe because she was kind of right. And sometimes I 
At some points, I kind of agreed with her. And then at other points, I actually would get angry. But somehow, through this whole thing, I stayed silent. I just, sit, I just sat there and let her unload and vent. So finally, after 45 minutes, she looked at me and said, what do you think about all of that? And I paused, and I took a deep breath, and I uttered words that I believe to this day came from the Holy Spirit. And I said to her, I give it a month. And she said, what, what, do, you, what do you mean a month? I said, I give it a month until you're a Christian. Because anyone that's pursuing God as hard as you are is bound to find him. And then I left. Now, I wish I could tell you that the words that I said that evening were unique, but they're not. Actually, they're a scriptural precedent that we see repeated throughout scripture, and it's our take-home point for today is gleaned from this principle. And our take-home point is the one point I hope that we'll take with us and live out, and it quite simply is this. Those who seek God with all of their heart will find him. Those who seek God with all of their heart will find him. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, I'd encourage you right now to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to look at a handful of verses from Jeremiah 29 today, Uh, so just keep that passage open. But we're going to look first uh, at verses 11 to 14, actually the first part of 14, and that's where we're going to start today. So please follow along with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and, will listen, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Now, for many of us, we're really familiar with one verse in this passage. Culturally, we love Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And it's a wonderful verse. And actually, I know tons of folks that say Jeremiah 29, 11 is their life verse as Christians. And I always kind of half-jokingly ask how long they're willing to wait for the prospering. Because Jeremiah 29, the whole chapter, we don't want to take it out of context, right? Jeremiah 29 is a letter that the prophet Jeremiah writes to the Israelites who are in exile in Babylon, right? So the Babylonians come in, they conquer Israel, they conquer Jerusalem, and they take really the best folks in that nation at the time, the brightest, the best, the brightest, and they exile them to Babylon, and they're living in a foreign land in exile. So Jeremiah 29 is this letter, and the first part of the letter The prophet Jeremiah is actually pretty encouraging to the people. He encourages them really to flourish in exile. He tells them to marry within their tribe. He tells them to have kids, to plant uh, gardens, and also to get households established to flourish even in exile. Why? Because there's hope, right? Hope is the Jeremiah 29, 11 verse that we love. The question is when? Well, actually, when is answered in verse 10. And it says this, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 70 years. Now that's a long time. So how long were they willing to wait for the prospering? Well, 
There's prospering even in the midst of their exile. Why? Because there's that hope. God is still pursuing his people. Despite their sin and disobedience, God still had an ultimate plan to restore them, right? So in the immediate, he tells them to flourish and prosper even in exile. So there's hope in the present. And there's also this hope for the future and frankly, for their children, those plans to prosper and not to harm. So how are the Israelite people to respond to this generous and really beautiful offer from God? Well, verse 12 and 13 make it pretty clear. They're to call upon the Lord, pray and listen and seek him with all of their heart. And in so doing, they're guaranteed, says the Lord, to find him. It's a relationship of reciprocity, right? God in his mercy continues to care for his chosen people. In response, his people pursue him with all of their hearts and they will find him and come to know him. The question is, should we then do the same, right? Because this is an Old Testament passage and we live within the fulfillment via the new. If we carried out all of the New Testament laws, then we'd still be doing a lot of sacrifices today, right? So is this a principle that applies to us? Well, if it isn't, then how could I say to my friend's niece all those years ago what I told her, which is if she sought after the Lord, she was sure to find him. Well, it's because, again, as I said during the take-home point, this is a principle that we see carried throughout the entirety of Scripture. The book of James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament, and it's chock full of wisdom, oftentimes like one-liners or very short sections. I find myself having to read the book of James very carefully, lest I like miss a really important part. And that's the case in James chapter 4, verse 8, where the author states, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now, I don't know if James had the prophet Jeremiah in mind when he wrote these words, but maybe he had someone else in mind, like his brother, Jesus. Church tradition teaches us that James was the brother of Jesus. And Jesus has this incredible parable where he lays out how relentlessly we should pursue God in our daily lives, particularly through prayer. That's found in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. And it says this, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Now, I had an opportunity several years ago in seminary to write an entire paper on this passage. And there's so many layers to this passage, it's incredible. And I don't have time to go into all that detail today. But I want to look at two particular things in particular. Most notably, I want to look at the bed situation and the bread, right? Notice what the friend says, my family and I are in bed. 
Now, in a Western or an American context, the image that comes to mind is everybody's kind of in their own bed, usually in their own room, unless you've got kids like sharing a room or something like that. But that's not true at this time, right? In a, in a, in a normal Israelite household at this time, in their house, they had a couple common rooms. One of those rooms was the bedroom, right? Uh, and the bed was usually, if you were lucky, a mat. And everyone slept in that room. In poorer situations, they may have one room in the entire house. So everything is done in that room. And so can you imagine if a friend knocks on your door at midnight and you have to trip over your entire family to get up to give him aid? Yikes. And then he's asking for bread. Now, believe it or not, they made bread fresh every day, and then they consumed it throughout the day because storage was an issue. So they didn't just have a loaf of bread lying around. They may have a few scraps, but they certainly did not have three loaves of bread. And in that day, you had to basically make it from scratch, right? So when this friend requests bread, he's asking his neighbor to get up, trip over his entire family, make the bread. Oh, and guess what? There's no oven with electricity. You've got to make a fire. And then you've got to bake it. This is a huge request. So we can understand why the neighbor doesn't just jump out of bed, right? But yet he relents. Why? Jesus says it's because of this shameless persistence. It's, if we seek God with all of our heart, we will find him, but we have to do it with this shameless persistence. We must do it. Do so with shameless persistence. I'm going to reference a couple of quotes from this Pursuit devotional because I just really believe they're very helpful for where we're heading today. And Dave Patterson points out that this seeking and finding with persistence, man, they're key to this whole pursuit thing and seeking God with all of our heart. He says, to seek is to search for and not stop, to continue a quest until the object of our seeking has been obtained, and to create, I love this, a well-worn path to the person or object we're in search of, a well-worn path. I love the image because it points to the regularity that we have to go on this journey, right? Seeking after God is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing and perpetual thing. Pastor Chris and I often talk about the difference between those who run a marathon and runners. Now, they can be the same, but oftentimes they're not because a marathon is a one-time goal or event. And so oftentimes you'll see folks, and this is great, I don't have anything against this, but they'll train for a marathon, they'll run a marathon, and then they never lace up their shoes again. It's a one-time event. Whereas runners, by their very nature, are defined by an ongoing and consistent action. They run. And actually, they run so often that it's built into the very fabric of their lives. It's habitual, right? And even their identity sometimes is shaped by this action. They are known within their community as runners. So seeking is just such an action. It's an ongoing, perpetual event. 
where we create a well-worn path. We need to, according to Patterson, discover a spirit of seeking. He says this, that is, meaning the seeking, would become such a part of who we are that we will never again be satisfied with a lackluster approach to God or a casual prayer life. Never again be satisfied with a lackluster approach to God or a casual prayer life. But the promise, as we seek, we will find. For Patterson to find is to be encountered, lighted upon, discovered, to run into, gain possession of, and find sufficient. He continues and says, the goal, quite simply, and I love this, is that we, through seeking, create such a well-worn path to God's presence that we inevitably will find Him, and I would add that we experience Him. Again, I love the imagery. It reminds me of Adam and Eve before sin entered the world, walking with God in the cool of the day. Now, i got to be honest with you, for most of my Christian life and walk, this was really foreign to me, and I know what was ultimately missing. It was the well-worn path. God was waiting patiently for me to pursue Him, really to to respond to His pursuit of me. I was chatting with a friend recently and confessed that For me, this was foreign because I didn't fully understand what my relationship with God was. Here's what I mean by that. For me, I had to have some sort of a quiet time with the Lord, right? I had to. Well, in that view, then the had to is kind of like I have to eat right, and I have to exercise, and I have to take my vitamins. Confession, I, I still don't take vitamins, right? But when that have to... Was, is, was my mindset, then motivation was really lacking. And if motivation was lacking, then guilt just built up when I didn't achieve the goal, right? I don't eat right. I'm five or 10 pounds too heavy. I don't exercise. There's repercussions. And I have to do this thing, but motivation oftentimes wasn't there. And I would just feel immense amount of guilt. I felt, you know, really lost and sometimes even hopeless in the midst of this. And this was always a challenge. And then I would view scripture, right, and prayer the whole lot as this have to. And then I would run into folks, usually older Christians, who would talk about their relationship with God. And it was sort of a want to or a get to type response. They just seemed to draw something from their relationship with God that that I didn't and I couldn't fully understand or comprehend. What I know now is they had developed this well-worn path. Now, for me, a lot of times my path would start with good intentions, but because it was a have-to, I would usually detour and go hang out with a friend. Well, now, why would I do that? Well, because people have skin, and I could see immediate reactions, and I needed comfort, or I needed advice, or I needed guidance, or any of these things, and friends aren't bad, but I oftentimes neglected the most important thing for a good thing. And that was to gain advice or wisdom from a friend. My relationship with God was important, but I needed to interact with someone who was there in the present. All that really for me began to change a couple of years ago as I began to experience God in a completely different way. 
And my mindset began to shift from a have to to a get to. And what I found in the midst of that was as I spent time pursuing God and as I found him, he could speak to me in ways that no one else could. That's not to say that friends aren't important. We desperately need community, more so even now perhaps. But God could speak to the deepest parts of me in ways that my friends and mentors never could, to encourage me with wisdom, insight, and sometimes even conviction. My father, my heavenly father could do that. My earthly friends simply couldn't. Not to say that they were bad, I just needed to understand what it was like to ultimately find God. Now, I'm not going to lie, this has all sort of come to a head over the past several months as we've navigated COVID-19, and there's been a few times where I found myself running down my path, seeking out my father and asking for his guidance in the day-to-day because I desperately need to find him for wisdom, advice, comfort, and sometimes for him to speak to me in ways that are convicting, encouraging, and anything in between. I'm going to boldly suggest that if we have yet to experience God, especially during this previous year, it's not because God hasn't been there to be experienced. Rather, it may be because we haven't pursued him with the shameless persistence that Jesus calls us to have. Remember, this is a whole heart affair. All of our heart, everything we have. Again, Patterson notes, the greatest things of God are not for the casual observer. The greater things of God are not for the casual observer. We have to pursue God with a shameless persistence, with all of our heart, because he says further, the nature of faith is persistence, and the language of faith is asking and continuing to ask until. Well, until what? Until the friend gets out of bed and makes us some bread. Now, the challenge to a message like this is inevitably the balance, right, between the have to and the get to. Some people start at get to. Pastor Chris is one of those folks. I'm oftentimes really envious of his positive interaction and take on most everything in life. And he's also, believe, I believe he's arrived at that because he understands and always is teaching us the importance of language. He's always stressing that habits, excuse me, words become actions, actions become habits, and habits ultimately change our destiny. So we get to pursue God with all of our heart. We get to enter into this relationship with him. We get to form that well-worn path, and we get to be about that work that ultimately ends at the very feet of Jesus. The question ultimately becomes, will we? Will we? Now, I do need to point out there is some discipline to this whole thing, right? There's discipline to our earthly relationships as well. Earthly relationships require commitment, and this one is no different. And there will be times where that is a bit of a struggle. Again, a Patterson quote is very helpful when he says, there are going to be days where you may not feel like you've made any headway. Anybody ever been there? I know I have. And frankly, you don't feel emotionally pumped about what you've committed yourself to. But would we start where we are? Would we start where we are? 
In so doing, we'll be living out what is our next step for today, which quite simply is this. I will pursue God with all of my heart. I will pursue God with all of my heart this week. For the next 21 days, I know that many of us will pursue God with reckless abandon. And we'll do that in a variety of ways. We're going to pursue him with that shameless persistence of a neighbor knocking on a friend's door. Some of that may happen as we fast for a day or a week or the whole 21 days. Some of that will happen as we enter into prayer in a way that we never have before or as we glean truths from God's word. We'll run hard after him, seeking him above all else, unreserved, his experience in our lives. He's going to show up, friends, if we pursue him with all of our heart. And I can't wait to see what that looks like for each and every one of you over the next 21 days. I told my friend's niece that I gave it a month. About 21 days later, her aunt called me and said, she's become a Christian. And through the miracle of Facebook, I'm able to see that she still continues to pursue the Lord to this day. It changed her entire life. And I hope that it doesn't take necessarily 21 days for our lives to be changed by the Lord. In fact, I know that it could be much sooner. But I do know this. Her entire life was changed because of a pursuit for God, lived shamelessly, and we get to do the same. Amen? Amen. What I love about God is that He's always the initiator. He always starts by pursuing us, and we get to respond to His pursuit. And right now, many of us have the opportunity to respond to Jesus in a variety of ways. Perhaps He is moving in our spirit to pursue Him in a new way. Perhaps by the Holy Spirit, he's speaking something very specific to each and every one of us. And for some of us, he may be asking if we would like for him to lead us in our everyday lives. We often say here at New Life that becoming a Christian is simple but not easy. And if you've yet to commit your your life to Jesus fully, why not do it today? For us, it's as simple as A, B, C. We get to admit that we're sinners We get to believe that Jesus is who he says he was, the Son of God, and because of that, he has the right to be our Savior and Lord, and C is to confess. We get to confess our sins to God, to admit that we've sinned, and that Jesus, again, has that right to be our Savior and Lord of our lives. Right now, we're going to pause, and we're going to sing a song, but I would ask that if God is moving in your heart in in this moment, and in the moments to come to make that commitment, I would ask that as, after the song and as we begin to explain a little bit more about what that means, that you would consider accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord today. Let's sing.